Hello, and welcome to another episode of the How to Scale a Business podcast. My name is Hector Santia Esteban, and I'm one of your hosts. And we're here with Brad Warren. And we're going to talk about something that I don't know if I even got onto my radar until we got till Brad Warren got onto my radar today and or got onto my radar and that is land making. He's a land making specialist and we're going to talk about it today. So Brad, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Talk just give us the overview. I want to get into the to the background and the how you got into this, but what is land banking? Why might a business owner or an entrepreneur or even someone just an individual be interested in this? And then let's get into, you know, how someone might get started. Sure. So imagine, Hector, you're driving around your hometown. Maybe you were a little kid at the time. Maybe you were a teenager. Maybe you were an adult. And you pass by an empty lot with a for sale sign. And you make a mental note to yourself, gee, I ought to look into that. It's empty lot. Maybe they could build something on it. I wonder how much it costs. And you never do anything. And 10 or 15 years later, you drive past the lot. And what do you see? An apartment building an office building, a football stadium, something got built on it. And you're kicking yourself in the behind, in the rear end, saying to yourself, if I had only bought it back then when it was cheap and then sold it to the developer and let them build whatever they wanted to build, I probably would have made a whole lot of money. That basically is what land banking is. It's buying land that is strategically placed in the path of growth. That's the key. Can't just buy land anywhere. It's got to be in the path of growth. Get it when it's cheap. Hold. And in our industry, we tell people very conservatively, seven to 10 years. So this is a little bit more long term, which I think applies to your listeners who are trying to scale a business. You don't scale a business overnight. You got to have a little bit more of a long term view. And then your end goal is you sell to the developer for anywhere from three to seven times your return and let them go through the headaches of getting the permits and breaking ground and buying the cement and pouring the concrete and all that other stuff. It's for building what we call legacy or generational wealth. Yeah, that. It seems like a very specific space. And so tell me about the background and the experience of that. I'll just tell you very quickly how I got involved in it. So I do a quarterly net worth statement. I've been doing it since March of 1989 when I got engaged to my wife. Just to keep track every quarter, and in fact, the quarter just ended, the March quarter, first quarter of 2023 just ended a couple of days ago. So I just did it. But on December 31st, 2011, I looked at the numbers and I had a little epiphany, a little aha. I looked at the numbers. I realized my wife could retire on her own with her 401k that she had from Oracle. Together, we could retire with our combined amounts of money. But if I was a single guy at that time, I could not retire didn't have enough money. It was embarrassing. It was a little bit of a shock. And I decided I needed to do something on my end to hold up the marriage and my end of the bargain and get into something that would give me a lot more return. Because at that point, I was 60 years old and about to turn 61 the next year in January. So I called Marcella Silva, my land banker, who I had known for a couple of years. I'd heard her talk about land banking, but I was like, eh, sounds like speculation. I don't want to buy dirt. Eh." And uh, she came to the house, did a presentation at the kitchen table, just like a real estate agent would do if they were trying to get the listing. My wife got up at the end and said, no, thank you. Not interested. It's too far into the future. It sounds like speculation. Walked out and I said, Marcella, this is the only way I'm going to amass enough money by the time I'm ready to retire to retire comfortably. So get me a, a property. So I bought one 
in 2012, one in 2013, one in 2014. Then in 2015, my wife goes with me to a hotel to hear Marcella present again. The whole way in the car, Hector, she's going, no, I'm not going to buy. I'm not going to buy. I just want to go learn more. I think I might have missed something because you seem to be really into this. You're getting these referral fees and you've gone down and looked at the land, but I'm not going to buy. Long story, very short. We go to the hotel. She listens to the presentation. She pulls out her checkbook and she buys two properties right there at the hotel. And the whole way home in the car, I'm going, I thought you weren't going to buy. You told me you weren't going to buy. She said, shut up. I get it now. I understand. So that was number four and five. And since then, we've bought six more. So we have some skin in the game. We own 11 properties, 1.7 million square feet of developable land. And five years ago, I left my 40-year coaching career, got my real estate license, and became a real estate salesperson in the state of California. And I am now a land banking specialist. And I sell dirt for a living. That's basically what I do. I sell land to patient investors to help them build generational wealth, just as my wife and I are building generational wealth. Wow. And so it seems like there's a couple of things going on. The first is knowing where the puck is going to go, which I think is the biggest concept (laughs) is being able to, you say it's, you said it's just speculation, but I'd imagine that there's a way to take it from speculation to even better than a good bet, right? What's that process like? Because I think that a lot of business owners can learn from what you guys are doing to not make it speculation, to give some as much certainty as I'd imagine investments could have. Yep. And I think you're right about the lessons for any business person. There's actually two that I can think of. Due diligence and risk mitigation. Due diligence for any business, before you get involved in anything, before you choose the photocopy store that you're going to give your business to. Do your homework. Do your research. Find out what, you know, go on Yelp. Go Google them. Make sure that they're a reputable place, which is what I did with Valor. I went and looked at the companies called Valor Enterprises. I looked at their now 44-year history. I had listened to a couple of webinars and heard the CEO make some some prognostications about the future, all of which were true and came true. The guy's been right every time. Uh, So I did some due diligence on the company. I also researched a couple of other companies that turned out to be, one is they're okay. The other one were crooks. I could tell from the beginning and they are now bankrupt. They did some very underhanded things that we in the land banking business would never conceive of doing. Got to do your due diligence and risk mitigation. So what our company does before it even buys the land, and our company buys the land first with its own money, they put their own money up to buy the land, which we then sell to our investors. But we do an incredible amount of research on every property. We have something called the 16-point comprehensive analysis. Every property we look at has to get 16 yes check marks, or we discard it and we don't even touch it. We only buy one out of every 30 that we look at because of that very high bar and very high level of due diligence and risk mitigation. So when our customers, our investors buy land from us, they know now you can't remove all risk. I don't know what the stock market's going to do. I don't know what the city council is going to do. But based on the area that we invest in, which, by the way, is restricted to a 60 mile radius around downtown L.A., We know that area because we've been there for 44 years, and this is all we do. So for any business owner, it's the same thing. Due diligence, reduce your risk, do your homework, check things out, and then go ahead, cross your fingers, of course, but go ahead 
and implement whatever plan it is you have in place and then adjust accordingly if necessary. Hmm. And you said outside of downtown LA, is that what you said? That is what I said. It's actually a 60 mile radius. If you took a one of those little compass thingies and put the point right at downtown LA, drew a 60 mile radius, you would have about a quarter of that circle would be in the Pacific Ocean, obviously. And we don't sell any of the land there. That would not be a good idea. It's underwater. But the, the land in downtown LA, you're talking two to seven million an acre if it's even available. You know what they're doing, Hector, now in, in LA, what I've heard in the downtown area? They can't build out anymore. They can only build up. So developers are buying single family homes in areas where the zoning allows higher height limits. They're destroying, they're raising that house to the ground. They tear down, it's like a three, two. They'll tear it down and they'll build three story, four story, a, a small apartment building, maybe a quadplex because it's all going up and the land is just too expensive there. You're talking two to seven million an acre. We're selling land. Our minimum investment is $25,000, which a lot of people can afford to do or to get started. That's all it takes. So we're mostly in the periphery, the, the outskirts, what are called the exurbs, a suburb of a suburb. So Santa Clarita is a suburb of LA. Lancaster and Palmdale are suburb of Santa Clarita. So we call it an exurb. It's a little further out, but it's still in the path of growth. And if you, I don't know where you live. But the reason I was familiar is I grew up in, in LA. I grew up on the west side of LA. And so okay. I was initially thinking, I was saying, Brad is out there and he's dealing with things out in the middle of flyover country or whatever. But you're actually, you're talking about the most, one of the most densely populated cities in, in the world. And so I'm glad that's the case because it breaks my expectations and beliefs about what is possible or what I should expect. Yeah. And you touched on what we call one of the 10 growth factors. Remember I said earlier, it has to be land strategically placed in the path of growth. People have asked us, how come you're not in Arizona? The land's flat, it's cheap, it's developable, and there's a lot of sun but there's no population growth. There's no infrastructure growth. There's no job growth. There's no port. You're missing a lot of the growth factors that seem to, we call macro and microeconomic trends, that when you put them all together, makes that area ripe for expansion. So if you look at the ongoing population increase outside of LA, you can't have much population growth in LA proper because all the apartments are rented and all the houses are bought. But in the outskirts, 50 miles away, an hour drive away from downtown L.A., you're in Lancaster, Palmdale, Victorville, Adelanto, Paris, Inland Empire. And those places are experiencing tremendous growth. Mm. Need I also add a few of them, like Lancaster and Palmdale in particular, have what we call business friendly city government. If you have a government that, like a city council and a mayor that are anti-growth, and put in all these laws and resolutions to prevent the developers from building, that's not a good place to go buy land for housing. But if the city council and the mayor are encouraging development by offering incentives to developers to build more homes, then yeah, buy the land there and sell it to the developer, you're going to do very well, which is what we do. We look at these trends, and they're all happening inside that circle right now, even as you and I are speaking.
are they all buy and hold strategies or are there ways to cash flow this while you are in whatever interim period that there is? Great question. Our exit strategy is buy and hold. And I said earlier, very conservatively, seven to 10 years is about the average hold. You wait for the developer to knock on your door. You don't put a for sale sign up. Occasionally, very infrequently, someone that has a what we call green energy or green real estate, which is land that will be sold to an energy company that wants to build a solar farm, just rows and rows of solar panels, you might get a lease. It'll be probably like a 15-year lease with two five-year renewable periods, a 2% escalation clause. And if you want cash flow, then those are great. You'll want a $25,000 investment. You could wind up making a half a million to a million dollars over the course of that 25 years. And then you still own the land at the end of the 25 years. It's still your land because they just leased it from you. But those are rare. So we don't count on that as an exit strategy. You basically want to hold. You buy it at $25,000 and you're going to sell somewhere between $75,000 and $175,000, somewhere in that vicinity. And then if you're young enough, you take that $75,000, you do it again, and now you're talking $225,000 to $500,000, somewhere in that vicinity. Now you're building generational wealth. Hmm. Yeah. The second thing that came to mind, the need to have some stockpile of resources, perhaps, or perhaps that's just another misconception, excuse me, another misconception that I have in the sense that this seems like an investment that is great if you have resources that you need to you know, allocate and distribute, but perhaps not. But so for someone who is this for somebody who has a little bit of a nest egg that they need to figure out where to put, or is it for speak to that a little bit? That's a great question. Ideally, most of my clients will use retirement funds. They'll use an IRA, a Roth, a 401k. It has to be converted, Hector, into what's called a self-directed IRA because regular IRAs are not allowed to buy real estate, but it's fairly easy to convert because that money is going to sit, if they're in their 40s, it's going to sit for 20 years. And right now, I don't think the stock market's a really good place to be with your money because it's just too volatile. It's up and down and up and down, and then it's down, 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 and then it's up a little, and then it's down, down, down. So this is a way to diversify your portfolio. I don't want all of your money. I just want you to take a little portion of it, put it into something a little more long-term, which is going to give you great returns, and then just leave it there. And don't worry about once a year, you pay your property tax because of Proposition 13 is incredibly low. You know, any homeowner that's owned a house since 1978, I believe is when it was passed retroactive to 76, they just, they watch their property tax bill go up a maximum of 2% a year. So let's say your first year you pay $100 in tax, next year it's 102. And the next year it's $104.40. It's the the incremental increase is ridiculously low. So your ongoing holding costs over that seven to 10 years is extremely low. So it's great for retirement funds. Uh, a lot of Some of my clients will use cash just out like the last one I sold. It's $45,000. It was a husband and wife and they got their the wife's mom and dad. So they went into the four of them together, pooled their money and bought a $45,000 property. So that's entirely possible. And 1031 exchange. And 
for most people, 1031 exchange would be the entire amount. But let's say you sold your property for a million, you can only identify another property for 900,000. And it's getting close to that closing date. You call us up and you say, hi, I got a 1031 exchange going. I've only got a certain amount of time. I've got 100,000 in the boot. That's the difference is that $100,000 is called the boot. Can you guys get me a piece of land? Because I don't want to pay the taxes on the 100,000. So we'll find them 100,000, maybe 105, maybe 98, but something very close. And they'll buy that uh, with that extra money from the 1031 exchange, defer the tax. And then maybe that property goes to 400, 500,000. And then maybe they sell and pay the tax or they do a 1031 exchange again. Just keep deferring. Yeah, lots of options here. This is great because I'm, once again, just foreign to the concept, but it makes so much sense, and especially in places like you mentioned that, that have these growth factors. Is there anything else that you feel we should be talking about today that you mm-hmm. that we haven't really covered that is important with regards to land banking? Not only land banking, but also to entrepreneurs in general and how they scale their business, is who are you in bed with, so to speak? Who are you doing business with? So in the land banking world, you're allowed to invest with up to four non-family members and up to eight family members. In the business world, when you partner with somebody, if you bring in somebody with more money or maybe more expertise, you don't need money, but you need expertise, you want to be careful who you're doing business with. It's the same thing here. You can partner up with people. The upside is you can buy a bigger piece of property. The downside is you'll all have to agree to sell at the same time. And we know with families, sometimes that can be a problem. Uncle Joe doesn't want to sell. He wants to wait forever because he doesn't really need the money. But the other three people in the family need it. And it's been four years and they decided it's time and we're at 4X. It's a great return. Uh, but they can't get Uncle Joe to agree. So you got upsides and downsides, pros and cons to going in with more than one investor. But it's the same thing in the business world. You be very careful who you partner with. Again, going back to what I said earlier, do your due diligence, research them, do a Google search, You know, find out if they've ever been convicted of anything, put in jail. That happened to me once. I was all ready to go with this guy. He was on, uh, he was on some a webinar or whatever, I was all excited, ran into my wife who has an MBA in finance and is very conservative. And the first thing she says to me is Google. Okay, run back to my office. I pull up Google and I look at the guy and I find out he's he's wanted in Canada or someplace. He's on the lam and he's trying to start this new business. He sounded great on paper. He was very smart and very verbose and, and had style and all that. And yet he's on He was a convicted criminal on the loose running around. And so I didn't invest in that one. (laughs) Thank goodness. Saved by the Google search. But that's a great (laughs) advice and insights into just partnerships in general. Brad, if people want to get, you know, more info on this, they want to go into your world or follow up with you. Where's the best place to get connected? Email. I'm 72 years old. I don't do a lot of texting and TikToking and whatever else you call those things. Just email. And it's my name. I got this a long time ago, so I wouldn't forget it. Brad at bradwarren.com. You send me an email. Now, you got to tell me that you heard about me on your show because I do pay referral fees. I do track where my business comes from. It's all by referral. And I want to know that they heard about me through you. So they email me. I will email back. 
most likely I will send them a link to a one-hour educational presentation. We like people to be educated. In fact, you can't invest with us until you get educated. So I tell people, watch this first. When you're done, if you still are interested in investing and you still have some questions and you still think that this might be the right investment for you, then we'll set up a Zoom meeting and we'll get on and we'll talk for as long as you need to talk to me. You ask as many questions as you want until you are absolutely one. You almost have to get on your knees and beg me to sell you land because I want to make sure that this is the right investment for you or else we're just not going to do business. I don't want it if it's your last 25000 I don't want it if you have kids that need to go to college and you don't have a college fund set up. Maybe this is your way to get a college fund. Okay, that's a different story. But I don't want you having to get out sooner than the period that we want you to hold it for because you need the money for something else. So we're very careful about who we allow in to invest with us because it is a very different kind of investment. And that time horizon occasionally freaks people out a little bit, seven to 10 years. Most people don't even know what they're doing tomorrow, much less seven to 10 years from now. Yeah. Yeah. Great point. Great point. Brad, my last question, and this has been a fantastic conversation, really eye-opening, insightful, is my last question for you is, in your opinion, what is the secret to growing or scaling a business? In those 40 years of doing business coaching, primarily with people in the real estate field, I basically focused on three things that they needed to do to start a business, to scale it, to keep it going. And the first thing is goals. If I can't coach anybody, if they don't know where they're going, how am I going to coach them? I don't know if you're familiar with Alice in Wonderland. And Alice is walking through the woods and she comes to a fork in the road and the Cheshire cat's up in the tree. And she looks at the cat and she says, which road should I take? And he says, where are you going? He says, I don't know. And he says, then any road will do. And it's the same in business. If you're a real estate agent, are you going to work with buyers or sellers? Totally different strategies to your business if your goal is to work with one group versus the other. If you say both, I usually get on your case because then you're a jack of all trades and a master of none. I would rather you focused on one or the other, at least, especially if you're new to the business. Get real comfortable at one side or the other. So you got to have goals. They need to be written down. They need to be in the smart, you know, what's called a smart formula, be specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and time bound. And you got to have goals for the year, the quarter, and the month. So that's step one. Be very clear about where you're going. Number two, a written plan of action for how you're going to accomplish those goals. If it's not written down, if it's in your head, good luck. (laughs) They say the mind is like a bad neighborhood. Don't go in there alone. Mm. You don't want to go into your head because your plan will just keep changing. It's got to be written out. Here's what I'm going to do in general, and here's what I'm going to do specifically. I'm going to use Facebook. That's going to be my number one way to market my homes. And I'm going to use TikTok and I'm going to post videos and whatever your strategy is. But it needs to be written out very clear. What are your strategies to moving that business forward and reaching those goals? So that's the second area, plan of action. And the third is what's called time blocking a week at a time. I taught every one of the 500 plus people that I coached in all those years to time block every Sunday to spend 30 minutes blocking out their next seven days. 
I'm going to go door knock on Monday for three hours in this particular neighborhood. And my goal is to talk to 10 people. On Tuesday, I'm going to do X. And Wednesday, I'm going to do Y. And Thursday, I'm going to do C and Z. And here's the time during the day when I'm going to work on it. And then I'd say, great, when are you taking a walk? When are you having lunch? Oh, you mean I can take breaks? Yeah, you got to refresh your body just to stay on task and on purpose. It's like some people treat their bodies like a cell phone and they just run it down to a zero. And then they got to plug it in and wait for it to recharge versus it gets down to 90%. You recharge it and only has to go 10% and it's back to 100. And then you're ready to go. So time block. So goals, plan of action, and time block a week at a time. Those to me are the three most important things that any person running any business, even if it's a lemonade stand, I don't care. If you've got those three things in place, I say you will succeed. Now, of course, you got to execute. You got to be good. (laughs) You know, that's another whole story. But that skill acquisition is a lot easier than what I've just outlined. Those three things get in the way of most people. Yeah. This is great. I want to appreciate all of you guys for sticking with us today. This has been a very eye-opening conversation that is just getting my brain spinning on all sorts of possibilities. But uh, Brad, thanks for this. For you listeners, if you enjoyed today's conversation, we would appreciate a rating or review wherever you get your podcast. If you know someone who is in the midst of scaling their business or thinking about starting one, please send them this episode. And then if you have questions for Brad, go find him, connect with him, send him an email and... Let's see if we can get you guys some land, maybe. Who knows? But uh, thanks for being a part of the tribe. As always, we appreciate you being with us. We'll see you in the next one. Later, y'all.